You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. My name is Keith Missel, the lead pastor here at Westwind Church, and thank you for joining us for worship. I thought to be very candid this morning and share with you a little bit of my life uh, journey and faith story regarding our topic this morning, fear less. In junior high, I faced uh, a huge fear when my biological father passed away. He died with cirrhosis of the liver as an alcoholic. And I remember thinking as a kid, where did dad go? Where is dad today? And I had no answers, just questions. And there were times, many times, I would lay in bed at night and I'd pull the covers over my head thinking, my goodness, what would happen to me if I died? Where would I go? And that was a fear that I just had to suppress for quite some time because I had no answers. Fast forward into my high school years, young adult years, started getting serious about relationships, thinking about marriage. And I'll never forget, as I contemplated marriage seriously, and the great fear I had in marriage, why I saw a divorce in my family. And I thought, wow, if it could happen to my mom, it certainly could happen to me. And, and so I feared the institution of marriage. And then as a young professional, I had a fear of failure. Early on in life, I studied mechanical engineering. I was a journeyman uh, working in a tool shop. And I remember, because I wasn't mechanically inclined, will I make the grade? Will I get my journeyman status? And one day, I had a really cool project that I was working on that I messed up royally. And I remember throwing it away and hiding it from my foreman, not telling him that I messed up the job. And then when he found out, I was so ashamed, so discouraged because I feared failure. You know, fast forward, coming to faith in Christ a few years after that, I discovered a beautiful statement in the book of Psalms, and it says this, David says, when I am afraid, I will trust in him. Think about that statement, folks. When I am afraid. In other words, the Bible assumes that you and I will have fears, why? Fear is part of the human condition. You go all the way back to Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, one of the first things that happened was the response of fear towards God. They ran, they hid, they were fearful. And that has been our predicament ever since. But another thing that I've learned, and it's a beautiful truth, the issue really isn't in life fear, the real issue is how will we address our fears? To where or to whom will we go with our fears? Now, fear is a huge topic, of course, but I want to bring clarity by giving a basic definition of fear. And if you do have your digital worship guide, there is a sermon outline. And so here's what I believe. Fear is an emotional response to real or imagined danger. Think about that. Fear is our emotional response to something that's real or something that's imagined that seems dangerous. Now, let me try to paint a picture of what that looks like. Uh, I've been married now for 30 years to a gal named Ellen, so thankful. And we were gifted uh, a second honeymoon to go to Hawaii. 
And this was early on in our marriage when we were in youth ministry. And so we went to Maui, and one of our excursions was scuba diving. And so we were so looking forward to this. We're novices. We had very little experience, did a little snorkeling and so forth. So we're out with a bunch of beginners. We're on a 40-foot catamaran, and we're heading to the island of Molokini. And we are just so excited to dive. And so you got a captain, master diver, there's about six of us. And I'll never forget, the master diver took Ellen and I down first, Pacific Ocean, 30 feet. And he says, the instruction was to kneel here, get buoyant, and wait till the rest of the team came down. So we did what he instructed. We're down on the ocean floor. Next thing you know, master diver brings a few more uh, divers, and they're doing the same thing, getting buoyant, the current's pushing us back and forth. And then what I saw next scared the daylights out of me. One of the beginner divers, his regulator broke, and his breathing hose came undone, and it's flailing around in the water, bubbles everywhere. And I'm like, oh my goodness, the master diver's coming back, gives him his breathing apparatus, takes his spare, they go up. Here we are at the bottom of the ocean, novice divers, and my heart is racing. We were taught a few signs, uh, signals to communicate underwater. And one of them was this. And so I look at Ellen, I said, everything okay? Ellen had no idea what just transpired. She looks back, everything's okay. It wasn't okay, folks. And my heart is racing, my blood pressure's off the charts. That was real, that was dangerous. Now, fast forward 20 years later in our marriage, we got certified as divers together. But I'll never forget having to overcome some of those real fears. Diving is risky. You have to pay attention. And what happened at the Molokini site was a a real issue that brought real fear. So, This morning, I want to address the real fears that we deal with generally in life, but also how the COVID-19 virus has potentially escalated or magnified those fears. And so I want to consider a few macro ways all people experience fears, but especially in times of crisis. First, we all fear loss. Will I have a job tomorrow in this economic crisis? Will my health prevail? What about the stock market? Will it rebound? Will my losses be recovered? Will my business survive? In addition, we all fear failure because we live in such a very performance and success-oriented culture. Failure is one of our greatest fears. We ask ourselves, are my parenting efforts good enough? Am I making the grade as an employee or an employer? As a Christian, is God pleased with who I am? Will I measure up to those around me? For some, COVID-19 has elevated the performance factor. Right now, small business owners are wondering what this summer looks like and if their business will survive. Those are real concerns. Can you imagine today what it would be like to walk in the shoes of President Donald Trump and Vice President Pence. How about Dr. Anthony Fauci and Dr. Deborah Birx? So much uh, effort and work that they're carrying on behalf of trying to find this cure and care for our country. 
My wife's been very honest with me. She allowed me to share this. She's wired a little bit more as a perfectionist. And because of that perfectionist disposition, the fear of failure has haunted her over time at work and marriage and so forth. And so these are real things. But finally, we all fear the future. I do think in a healthy way, COVID-19 has caused us to think more seriously about life and future. Yes, life is volatile. We truly do not know what tomorrow holds. In Psalm 90:12, Moses prayed these beautiful words, Lord, teach us to number our days. And that's going to be our topic next week. What a beautiful prayer that is and how essential it is. Why? Because our life is but a vapor, the Bible says. Here one minute, gone the next. However, our greatest fear is death. In the past few months, COVID-19 has claimed the lives of over 30,000 people in nearly 180 countries. I was honest, I feared death growing up when I saw my dad pass and so many questions. Now, one of the things that I appreciate so much about Jesus is that he takes our fears seriously. You know, there's four records of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's one gospel, four accounts. But when you read the teachings of Jesus, at least 125 Jesus gives commands or imperatives. And I find it striking that 21 of the 125, almost one-sixth, come from the fear, not genre. You'll constantly hear Jesus say, fear not. Take courage. Be of good cheer. Trust God. The fear not motif was real. Why? Because Jesus knows we have fears. And so I hope you have your Bibles open to our passage that was read by Tara, Matthew 8, 23 through 27. In the midst of real life storms, what does Jesus do? It's interesting. He asks the disciples a question and he asks us a question this morning. Why so fearful? Well, from this passage and all of scripture, I would suggest one of the primary reasons we fear is that life is stormy. It is unsettling and certainly unpredictable. Now, let's take a closer look at the story and discover three realities this morning. First, some life storms are seismic. Matthew 8, 24, look at the passage, please. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. It's interesting that Matthew uses the Greek word uh, seismic to describe what's called a mega storm, a great or violent storm. The Sea of Galilee is a very uh, beautiful place, been there numerous times, but geographically, it is 680 feet below sea level. And it is just below Mount Hermon, which is 9,200 feet above sea level. And that is an environment that creates what's called the perfect storm. History has recorded that at times the waves on the sea can reach 20 feet, bringing chaos to the shoreline, but especially if you're out on the sea uh, fishing like the disciples were or traveling from one shore to the other. Now, the Gospel of Mark gives a little more clarity 
It's a parallel passage, and it says this. A fierce windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. So again, I would suggest that the disciples' fear was real, and it reminds us that life is dangerous. There are real reasons that prompt fear. Our world is uncertain. Catastrophes do happen. All one has to do is page through the book of Psalms, which is the most recited book of the Bible, and you will quickly discover prominent themes like danger, anxiety, worry, fear, and turmoil. Undoubtedly, we are in a seismic storm as we process this virus. And as the world works in concert, and as millions of Christians pray, we are asking and trusting God to overcome the storm that's upon us, to teach us through this seismic storm. In addition, some storms in life are sudden. Look at verse 24 again. And it's a key word in this passage. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea. Matthew paints a picture of unpredictable suddenness out of the blue. Bam! The disciples go from a peaceful condition to a fearful panic. In 1985, quarterback Joe Theismann was leading the way for the Washington Redskins. Two Super Bowl visits, 36 years old, looking forward to re-signing his contract, and great days are ahead. However, the ball gets snapped. The first four seconds of the play went really well, and then all of a sudden, there was a collapse around Joe. In the fifth second, a 245-pound battering ram, New York Giants, his name is Lawrence Taylor, tackled Joe Theismann, ended his career. I watched an interview by Joe, actually a few interviews yesterday of that situation. It's a quarterback's nightmare. He is a right-handed quarterback, and he got hit on the left side. It's called being blindsided. But as Joe Theismann looked back on that situation, that sudden storm, if you will, he said it was one of the best things that happened in his life. It was sudden. He never played football again. But his whole life was recalibrated around being a self-centered individual to a more other-centered person. How interesting. So life is like that. At times we do get blindsided when a loved one is diagnosed with cancer. The layoff notice from work comes. Or when a spouse says this marriage is irreconcilable. Just a few months ago, life was peaceful. Then bam, a global pandemic. These sudden storms can create all kinds of fear and anxiety in our lives. Now finally, all life storms are opportunities for growth. And folks, please don't miss this point. This is so essential. Look at verse 23. As Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. I believe this with all my heart. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew the storm was coming, and he leads his disciples intentionally into the storm for a greater good. Jesus knew exactly 
what his disciples needed as he was teaching, as he was mentoring, as he was discipling them. Please understand, God uses the storms of our life to get our attention, to grow our faith. And so let's just pause for a moment. Has the Lord gotten your attention a little bit more during these times of wonderment, a time of crisis? Are you growing closer to him? Are you putting your trust in him like David said? When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Friends, I am convinced with all my heart God doesn't want to waste a storm in our life. And so this can be one of the most uh, growing times in our spiritual journey as we seek him, as we find him, because we have the privilege to search for him with all our hearts. And now that leads to the blessing. In the eye of the storm, each one of us can experience faith, not fear, and here's the key, by trusting Jesus. That's exactly what David experienced. That's exactly what the scriptures teach. It's all about trusting Jesus. Now, I want you to think for a moment about the eye of the storm. And I want to show you a picture of it. It's a really interesting phenomena. This is a huge hurricane here. But the eye of the storm is in the center. And it's anywhere between 19 and 40 miles in circumference. And ironically, as there's these walls of storm all around. What's going on in the eye? There is calm. There is tranquility. There is peace. And I would suggest this this morning, metaphorically, that when Jesus is with us, when we are trusting him in the midst of the storm, we can go through it as if it's the eye of the storm. And so two things we're going to look at for trust. Trust number one, trust in his peaceful presence. Look again at Matthew 8, 24 through 25. But he, Jesus, was sleeping. I love that. So the disciples came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. Now, it may be easy to read this passage and view Jesus as indifferent or uncaring when we experience the storms of life. In fact, that's exactly how the disciples felt. Let me show you the parallel passage in Mark. Here's what they say. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Friends, there's a great lesson to learn here. When hardship comes our way, please know this. Jesus is not aloof. He's not caught off guard. And he certainly is not indifferent or uncaring. And so it begs the question, why is Jesus sleeping? Well, the answer is simple and profound. Jesus is demonstrating to his disciples and to us that we were, when we are in the storm, we can experience his rest, his peace, and his calm and tranquility. Why? Because he's present. Faith, not fear, can win the day because we discover the Prince of Peace resting in the midst of the storm. Mark 4.38, again, adds another complimentary thought, but he was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. I love that. Jesus did not accidentally doze off. No, this was an intentional nap. Why? Because the cushion and the stern were designed to sleep in the boats, in that watercraft. So I believe this with all my heart, that Jesus was training and preparing his disciples for the future. Let me explain. 
In John 14, 27, we have this remarkable statement. Jesus says this to his disciples and to us. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. This is a most remarkable statement, folks. Why? Because when Jesus gave that peace declaration, it's just a few hours before his arrest, his trials, and his crucifixion. I would suggest that was one of the ultimate storms the disciples had to experience. And so now on Galilee, he's preparing them for greater storms, seismic mega storms. My peace is with you. And it's so different than what the world offers. Without question, COVID-19 is an unprecedented storm. Certainly the storm has impacted all of us in different ways, and we can't make light of that. However, the one common denominator we can all share is the peaceful presence of Christ through the storm. Now, what kind of peace did Jesus mean when he said, my peace I give to you? First, just a few things. One, the peace of Jesus is a peace that's unshaken in the midst of life's storms and circumstances, even as he moved towards crucifixion. Secondly, it's a peace that comes from a source that is absolutely peaceful. In Philippians 4, 6 through 7, Paul wrote these words. Track with me, please. Do not be anxious about everything, anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And notice the result. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts, will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. He is the source of all peace. He is the prince of peace. And in the midst of life's storms, the God of peace is present. One of our leaders shared this beautiful story last week. His son was reading through the Bible, and he was in Matthew chapter 6. And Matthew chapter 6 is an exhortation by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Don't fret about tomorrow. Live in the moment. Trust God today. And then in that beautiful passage, Jesus says, listen, God takes care of the birds of the air. He clothes the lilies of the field. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Aren't you much more valuable than birds and lilies? Therefore, don't be anxious. This young lad, reading through that passage, wrote next to it, COVID-19. Not going to be anxious not going to be fearful. If God cares for flowers and birds and he loves us so much, I can trust him in the midst of the storm. That's the kind of peace that Jesus offers. Now finally, trust number two, trust his powerful presence. Look at Matthew 8, 26 through 27. Jesus said to them, why are you fearful? You of little faith. Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds, even the sea, obey him. After Jesus rebukes the wind and the sea, the result is complete tranquility. 
the mega storm becomes mega calm. Matthew records the disciples responded with amazement. Please don't miss this. Why amazement? I believe it's not primarily because the storm ceased, as important as that was. No, the disciples were amazed at the one and only Jesus who is God and has the power and authority to bring calm, to bring peace in the storms of life. That is why the writer to the Hebrews, chapter 12, in a very difficult time of persecution of the early church, says this when you're going through those hard times, when you're facing those storms, when you don't feel like you can persevere, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. That's beautiful. The disciple asks, who is this man? The Bible answers, he is the God-man. He is the savior of the world. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He controls nature. He is omniscient. He is with us, and therefore we can experience his peace. This morning, friends, I was candid, sharing with you a little bit of my life story. Growing up fearing death, I can honestly say because of the Prince of Peace is Lord of my life today, I no longer fear death. Why? He is life. I believed on Jesus, and he offers eternal life. I know what's going to happen to me when I die. I talked about fearing marriage. I've been married now for 30 years. Why? Because I learned early on that marriage takes three, and Christ is the center of our marriage. That's why Ellen and I love each other, because we love Jesus. He's at the center. And I can honestly say this. I no longer fear failure. I don't welcome failure, but I've learned one thing, that all things work for good for those who love him. And so failure can be the back door to success. God can use that in our life. 41 years ago, I came to embrace what I would call biblical fear. And biblical fear is found in Proverbs 1.7. Let me show you that verse. It's beautiful. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. And what does that mean? We're not called to be afraid of God, no. When the Bible says the fear of the Lord, it speaks of our reverence of him, standing in awe of who he is, the creator, the sustainer, the one who blesses, the one who offers his son Jesus Christ as the savior of the world. So it's a, a reverence, it's an honor, it's respect for who he is, his holiness. So 41 years ago, I came to genuine faith in Christ and learned to honor the Lord, respect him and revere him. Another fear I learned about in scripture comes from Jesus in Luke chapter 12. He says, if there's something to fear, fear this. Fear the one who holds the power of life and death. In other words, there's an eternity before us and we have to respect that God is on his throne and he has an ultimate plan. And so I came to, re to revere and respect and fear the one who holds the power of life and death. And 41 years ago, I was able to put my fears aside and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. And so as we close this morning, may I ask you, like David, when I am afraid, how will you respond? To whom will you go? 
Will you trust in the Lord? Today could be that day. God could be using COVID-19 to get your attention, to bring you to your knees, to look up and stand in awe of him, to reverence him and honor him for who he is and put your faith and trust in Christ. And friends, if you would like to do that even this morning, I remember 41 years ago, I prayed a simple prayer. It was a prayer of faith. I said, Father, I'm a sinner. I know that. That was pretty easy. And my sins have brought a lot of hurts, a lot of fear. And I want to turn from my sin, and I want to turn to the Savior, Jesus Christ. And I just prayed a simple prayer, asking God to forgive me through Christ. And that prayer changed my life, and here I am today. A man who's fearing less because of Christ. So if you'd like to pray, I want to invite you to bow your head. If you'd like to put your faith and trust in Christ, pray this simple prayer to the Lord. Pray with me, please. Dear Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for my sin, to help me overcome my fears. And today, Father, I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus as my Savior. I put my faith and trust in him. Thank you, Father, for forgiving me past, present, and future sins. Thank you for the hope that I can have in Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together.